calling all memoirists. I'm so excited to let you know that I've put together an incredible all about memoir lineup for Saturday the 11th of May from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time in which six amazing speakers guide you through everything you need to know to write a memoir that will sell. You'll get opportunities to ask questions of best-selling memoirists while also standing a chance to have your query letter live critiqued during the webinar. To see the awesome lineup and to register, go to biancamaray.com. There's an early bird promotion for the first 50 delegates who sign up. Come and join us and get your memoir groove on. Hi there and welcome to our show, The Shit No One Tells You About Writing. I'm Bianca Murray, and I'm joined by Carly Waters and Cece Lira from PS Literary Agency. Have you started thinking about your summer goals? Are you hoping for some accountability to help you stay motivated through the summer heat? Join Author Accelerator and the hashtag AmWritingPodcast for a free weekly writing challenge. The 2022 Summer Blueprint Button the Chair Challenge will include 10 episodes hosted by certified book coaches, Jenny Nash and KJ Delantonia. In each episode, Jenny and KJ will give you an actionable step to take to further along your manuscript revision. You can also sign up for weekly reminder emails to help you stay on track. Each episode will include interviews with other experts across the publishing industry about their writing journeys, all to keep you inspired, motivated, and ready to write all summer long. Learn more and sign up for the challenge by visiting authoraccelerator.com slash writing. That's authoraccelerator.com slash writing. Today's guest is a certified book coach and developmental editor based in Croatia. Up until three years ago, she was a practicing attorney running her own law firm and spent her days trying cases before Croatian courts. In 2019, she quit law to pursue writing full-time and in English, which is her second language. She obtained her book coaching certification in 2020 and has been working with writers ever since. It's my pleasure to welcome Lydia Hilja. Lydia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're really excited to have you here as well. Right, so Lydia and I had a conversation about a genre guide that she put together, which was incredibly interesting, because for those of you who listen to the podcast know that often we have conversations about what constitutes literary fiction, what's women's fiction, what's contemporary fiction, what's historical fiction, etc., etc. And when you're pitching, these are things you need to know, and it's difficult sometimes to differentiate between the two, and often with Carly and Cece on the podcast, they will get in a query and they'll be like, "Mm, I'm not sure that this is this, maybe it's something else. So Lydia, will you tell us about an article that you wrote about differentiating those genres and how that then became a genre guide? Yeah, well, like you said, I come from a legal background, so (laughs) I wasn't a writer always. So I think many writers will relate to the fact that I wrote my first book. I didn't even think about what genre it is. I I wasn't considering things like genre or even craft issues. That wasn't something I was even familiar with. So as I was writing it, that never came to mind, right? So when I started querying my book, then I was blown away by all the deferring of information that there was out there about different genres and how to 
I was unable to pinpoint which genre my book fell into. I had, you know, a woman's fiction story with a strong romantic thread. I wasn't able to pinpoint whether it was literary fiction or art market fiction or just commercial fiction. <laughs> I wasn't, because of that, I couldn't pinpoint my comp titles. So it was a huge, huge mess. And then I, I kind of threw myself down the rabbit hole of exploring different genres. That all came together when I embarked on my certification uh, path. And um, there I was one of the book coaches who dealt with women's fiction, this space around women's fiction, which is kind of difficult to define because you have all these different book, um, you know, uh, beach read, upmarket fiction, book club fiction, all these different branches that kind of tied together to tie back to women's fiction. So I kind of became a go-to person who other coaches asked whether their client needed a comp title or something. So I found myself writing these posts in our book coaching community about genres all the time. And then one, one of my friends said, you should make a, you should make a blog post out of it, out, out of this. So that's, that's how I decided to write a blog post. And then uh, Women's Fiction Writers Association took it and put it inside their toolbox so that the members of the Women's Fiction Writers Association can check it if the writers are looking to define their genre. Yeah, and that's all super interesting in terms of, well, one, it's frustrating that women's fiction is even a genre. It's, you know, you don't get men's fiction. It's it's frustrating that if a book's written by a woman for women, then it's women's fiction. But if a book's written by a man for men, then it's literary fiction. I'm not quite sure what happens there. And frustrating to have seen a whole bunch of male authors recently in The Guardian who were asked to recommend women's books, no, to recommend books by women that they really loved. They were recommending Virginia Woolf and woman writers from so long ago as if they couldn't find any contemporary woman writers who were excellent writers. So that in itself is frustrating, but I will leave that for another day. In terms of you putting this together, it makes me laugh because even though you're a writer, you clearly are very left-brained, very analytical, not comfortable with ambiguity, which is why you had to put this kind of guide together. I'm actually surprised that Cece, who's also an ex-lawyer, didn't do this kind of thing herself. So Lydia, will you take us through how somebody might work through the guide, what it looks like, and, and practical steps of how they might be able to pinpoint what their genre is? So yeah, exactly. It's, it's, I think it's, it's my legal background that's my logic is is really it's a part of me that's hugely important so when i was uh, trying to you know make sense of all the the data out there i have to kind of explain things to myself first to be able to understand it so this is how i went about writing the genre so basically the first thing that i feel people kind of get stuck on is that there are different types of divisions when it comes to genres I call it genre in strict sense of word and in a broad sense of word. In the strict sense of word, I think we mostly refer to genre in terms of plot, like what kind of plot the book contains, whether it's a thriller or a mystery or a woman's fiction or some other kind of a, a plot, romance, for instance. And then there are different divisions that also talk about genre, different uh, ways of classifying a genre, but that, that that don't talk necessarily about plot. So for instance, you have 
writing style, which is literary versus upmarket versus commercial. You have time frame, which is historical versus contemporary. You have target audience, which is, you know, middle grade, uh, young adult, adult audience, etc. And different types of world building or setting like sci-fi, fantasy, dystopian, and so forth, or even different type of mood. So you have dark or humor. So where I feel writers get lost is that they try to use different genres from different categories and try to mesh something up. And that often doesn't work. The comparison that I like to use when when I'm talking about genre is that in English language, you have this unspoken rule of how a description works. So if you have, if you want to describe a thing, there's a certain order of how how you go about it. You first use opinion of the thing, then the size, then the age, then the shape, then the color, then the origin, then the material, and then the purpose. So, for instance, if you have a, a little green Italian car, you can't really say little, I don't know, green Italian little car, right? It's It doesn't sound right. So, also, another example would be a silly old fool. You can't say old silly fool, right? <laughs> it, it just doesn't sound right. So, with genres, it, it's the same. There's an unspoken rule of, of how to use all these different criteria that I've talked about. you, uh, For instance, if you're writing uh, young adult fiction, usually that's the criterion you're going to base your genre around. So for instance, if you want to go deeper there, then you'll say YA fantasy or YA thriller or YA suspense. But normally, if you're writing, for instance, something like coming of age YA, you don't even have to say it because most of books are coming of age YA fiction. So you just, you, you just go by YA. That's how we go about it. So for instance, if you're writing historical fiction, you don't really have to tell us if it's a historical thriller or if it's a historical, I don't know, woman's fiction. You'll go by historical fiction because that's the part of the description that matters the most. For instance, if you're writing adult fiction, then that's such a broad term that you need to kind of distill it into what exactly in that space you're writing. So basically, like I said, there are different ways of connecting these different criteria and just weaving them together to come to that specific genre that you're writing. Amazing. And yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I like the way you speak about these unspoken rules, because for those of us who speak English as a first language, it's not even something we think about because we've forgotten that there were these rules because we just inherently use them every day without paying attention to them. And it's wonderful when someone who speaks English as a second language kind of points that out and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, that is a rule that makes sense. And it reminds us that there are these rules in place and they're there for a reason. So some of the biggest issues we have, let's narrow down genre even more because where I'm seeing the biggest queries where people get confused is the difference between upmarket fiction, literary fiction, and then women's fiction. And I work with a lot of students who will straight out the bat call their book book club fiction or literary fiction. And when I start reading the work, 
I realized that what they've tried to do is jazz hands writing. Now, I call jazz hands writing when the person's like, look, Ma, I'm writing like a mofo. And they are using metaphors and similes. And it's like he gazed off into the distance where the sun met the clouds with animosity that struck a chord deep within the very breast of him. And you go, okay, this does not make it literary. This just makes it wordy and it makes it overwritten. And so, you know, people tend to think, okay, if the writing's a certain way, then that makes it literary or upmarket or book club or whatever. So if we can focus on those sort of four genres, upmarket, literary, women's fiction, and book club fiction, can you give us some pointers there when it comes to our listeners of how to differentiate between them? Okay, yeah, you 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 had me laughing. <laughs> With the purple prose description, I, I love that. So first thing that I want to say when you're talking about literary fiction, upmarket fiction, commercial fiction, and women's fiction, it's that the first three are one thing and the women's fiction is another thing. So you talked a little while ago about how men don't write women's fiction, and I don't feel that's true. Women's fiction is every bit as determined as, for instance, a thriller. So when I'm thinking about women's fiction, I'm thinking about a certain kind of plot that the reader expects. So women's fiction is for me, when I'm looking at it, it's like just a, a, a specific formulaic plot that we see in a certain type of book, whether it's written by a male or female writer, and whether or not the protagonist is a woman or a man. So, for instance, there are some, I, I mean, I might go wrong now, but I think Boo Walker writes women's fiction, and he's a male author. So it's just the type of plot there is a woman's emotional journey from a person who has a certain misbelief or a character flaw that they need to kind of overcome, and that's the story of reaching their goal. So I think what kind of trips people up when it comes to this is that many literary fiction novels have a similar kind of a plot. But uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're one and the same. Because in literary fiction, you can have a different type of ending that's not expected in a woman's fiction there are many things that differentiate the two. Now, when we talk about literary fiction versus upmarket fiction versus commercial fiction, this is something that I feel that's especially problematic for people because many people in the industry explain it as through quality of writing. And that's what you were talking about. They think if they write beautiful sentences, if they use beautiful descriptions, that then they're writing will be literary fiction. But that's why I'm not using the word quality of writing, but style of writing. That's a completely different thing. So basically in commercial fiction, it's not just about how you write on sentence level, it's how you weave your plot. So for instance, one of the things that are different in literary fiction versus commercial fiction is that you will have a scene that leads into the next scene and then leads it into the next scene. And the reader doesn't have to think about when this happened and when this happened. It's very straightforward how the story develops. And that's what they say when they, they're saying, you know, plot based or plot driven versus literary fiction where you have 
a scene that gives you a piece of information that you're not, as a reader, really sure what to do about right now, you retain the information and then you read another different scene with another piece of information and you retain that information and then you kind of puzzle it all together as you go. One of the things, for instance, that's different in commercial fiction is that the story question is really obvious up front. So basically in the first scene, you already know this is a book about whether this person will do this thing. So it's it's kind of really straightforward. The question is there. Even in the Save the Cat method, if you're familiar with that, it's like there's a person asking the question, basically, or kind of calling out the protagonist on their issue. And the protagonist is like, no, 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 that's not my issue. So that's like in commercial fiction, everything is on a silver platter. You don't really have to work a lot to piece things together. So you kind of, you're moving faster through the book. In literary fiction, it's a whole different game. And then I think the biggest difference between the two is the way the scenes are written. And that's something that Donald Mass addressed in, in one of his articles, which is really, really great. He talked about how in commercial fiction, you will have a scene that the protagonist will either come to a realization, they will decide something, take a different course of action, something will happen for the protagonist. In literary fiction, you have scenes that he calls postcards that don't necessarily move the story forward, they move it deeper. So you will have a scene where nothing changes for the protagonist. The world they're in stays the same, but through their interiority, you as the reader get that takeaway. You realize something about the protagonist, about their world, about how they exist in the world based on what you read. So the takeaway isn't for the protagonist, but for the reader. And so now when you're looking at how literary fiction books are written as opposed to commercial fiction, you can see the difference. And then upmarket comes somewhere in the middle. That's why the divisions aren't so clear, because upmarket will use more postcards than commercial fiction, but less so than literary fiction. So sometimes it's really hard to say which is which because the the boundaries are not like really clear and set in stone. So that's always hard. But uh, those are, I think, the, the biggest differences between these genres. I love what you've just said, because I've been reading The Lincoln Highway for a while now by Emma Tolls. And I actually listen to it more on audiobook when I'm walking, when I have time to exercise. I was thinking about what makes these work so literary and what you've just said about the postcards and moving things deeper rather than moving things forward has made a light bulb go off for me. Because if you had to edit an Amor Tolls novel, The Lincoln Highway specifically, for it to be genre fiction, you would probably take out half of it because he has whole scenes where things Nothing happens. Nothing happens. In fact, it feels like the world's biggest digression. We are just digressing into all these other things, but you wouldn't want to take them out because, like you say, they give you so much understanding into that character, how they are in the world. And you as a reader have these epiphanies while you're reading these digressions and you're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. That's so true. That's so interesting. But again, if someone had edited that book to be genre fiction, boy, you would take out 
all of the digressions and you'd be like, listen, Amor, move it along, man. We haven't got all week. Okay. So in terms of resources for our listeners, where can they go to find your genre guide? Where can they go to read the articles that you've written and where do they go to reach out to you? So yeah, my genre guide is on my website, which is, this is going to be really hard <laughs> to, <laughs> I'm going to say it because I'm Croatian, lidiahile.com, L-I-D-I-J-A-H-I-L-J-E.com. So under resources, you'll have the genre guide and in blog posts, you'll have a whole article around, around the genre guide, everything about it. And are you taking on new clients if people would like to work with you? Yeah, I actually am. And I uh, have a summer program coming up. It's a summer program about uh, going deeper into the foundations of writer story and connecting with the deep level why you're writing that story and exploring a little bit the interiority of the protagonist. So I think that's going to be fun. Wonderful. Okay, so for our listeners, you know now where to get hold of Lydia. Go check out that genre guide. Even if you think you know what your genre is, it's always good to double check. I often have to do this because I'll just bang something out and then I'm like, okay, what is this monstrosity that I have written? It's a bit of a Frankenstein's monster. I'm not quite sure what it is. So that's always helpful. Lydia, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your expertise with us. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Did you know that 70% of all books are sold online via e-commerce? If you're an author wondering how you can get some of that market share, this is for you. Hi, I'm your co-host Carly Waters, and I'm here to tell you how writers can work on their author brand to build an audience and convert those followers into book buyers. Do you ever wonder why so many authors publish their books and later say they didn't sell as many copies as they wanted? It happens over and over and it's all over social media. Authors really think it's a them problem, but not always. They really just weren't shown the way. And I don't want you guys to launch a book and show up at book events and have two people in the chairs. I have helped clients launch books to the bestseller list for over 15 years. I have now built a six module, 10 hour course with all my knowledge. And that will give you the craft and book business information that you won't find anywhere else. And there's an app. Over 100 of you have already joined my new course. And writer Siobhan Moore said, I'm halfway through the course and grieving that I didn't have this information sooner. There's really nowhere else to find it. Worth every penny. Thank you, Siobhan. If you want all that info and everything that will change the course of your writing career, go to carlywaters.com slash course to learn more and use discount code POD15 for the month of April at checkout. That's POD, P-O-D 15 at checkout over at carlywaters.com slash course. Hi everyone, this is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. 
If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You have Carly here to tell you about our upcoming The Shit No One Tells You About Writing virtual retreat. It is on September 24th and 25th, and we are so excited to bring this back to you guys again. We did it in January. We had an absolute blast and got such amazing feedback that we were so excited to be able to put together another amazing weekend. We have 18 hours of jam-packed content. We have 13 speakers. It's such an amazing, inspiring, and just community-building event um, filled with so many learning opportunities from authors, editors, and various speakers around the industry. We can't wait to see you guys there. Check out more on our website and we will see you soon. Today's guest created the Write or Die tribe. She's a freelance writer, blogger, and content creator based in Plymouth, Massachusetts. She's currently at work on her first novel. It's my pleasure to welcome Kaylee Brennan Delarusso. Kaylee, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is my favorite podcast. Oh, we're very honored. So for our listeners, Kaylee was listening to the episode that we did quite a while ago with the writer Julie Carrick Dalton. It was a very, very popular episode because Julie mentioned how participating in contests and workshops was a huge part of her success as a writer. And after that, we had quite a few people reaching out and say, well, where did she find these opportunities? Where did she find the writing contests? And she's kind of said she just Googled them. But then Kaylee reached out and let me know that they've got a much more formalized structure through something called the Right or Die Tribe. So Kaylee, can you tell us a bit about the organization and why you started it? Yeah. So Right or Die Tribe is a community for writers. I started it about four years ago. I had been out of college for some time. I was an English major, surprise. And I really missed that community that I had in school. You know, I had professors, I had friends, we were talking about writing, reading each other's work, just really immersed in, in that craft. And I realized when I was out of school, I really wasn't writing as much and I didn't have immediate people in my life to talk to about it. So I had had some experience with blogging and I had been interested in starting a website, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And yeah, so I kind of just followed that instinct of meeting community and and that's how Rider Die Tribe started. I started it off with just doing interviews and it's grown substantially to have a lot more resources and a lot more people involved. Yeah, that community is so, so important. We talk about that all the time on the podcast because writing can be lonely enough. And besides that, you need people to critique your work and to help make improvements to your work because it doesn't matter how good a writer you are. Once you're immersed in something, you know, you can't see the woods for the trees. You're just too close to the work. But besides that, through rejections and through the difficulties of it, it's so wonderful to have a built-in support there. But as well, those resources are important. And I was looking at the list of resources that you offer, and it's hugely impressive. So I want to break it down for our listeners, because I'm sure there's different things that each of them will be interested in. So can we begin with the online classes? So we actually have two separate lists now. We have an updated list monthly. So at the beginning, the first Monday of every month, we update the online classes. And it's a bunch of different organizations that do, obviously with COVID, most of them are all online now. So we're, we just break down each month, like for the month of May, here's all the classes in, diff, in these different organizations that they have. And now we're also at a place where Writer Die Tribe is offering workshops, which is really exciting. 
we just started offering those. We'll have a few two-hour day workshops, and we have a, some mentorship opportunities there, as well as weekly series classes. And the subjects of those range from uh, revision. We have a new one coming out that is for workshopping your work um, with other writers, but in more of a setting where you're not having to read the work before. You're workshopping it in real time. So we're really excited about that because that's something that people need, but it's hard to commit to reading other work outside of the class. That's wonderful. That sounds a lot like the Amherst Writers Method, the way they kind of do critique. They'll do writing sprints where you all get a prompt and you write and then you kind of share work with each other immediately. But this sounds like a more polished version of that. And certainly that's a very good point because not everybody has got time to read a lot of work ahead of the time. And, you know, remember writers, giving and receiving critique is like sex. You can't just be the person receiving nice things. You need to be the person giving things as well. And critique works the same way. So if you want to get good critique, you need to give good critique. Something you said now, Kaylee, which was interesting, was the mentorships. Can you tell us a bit more about those? Yeah. So as we're talking now, we're sort of adding to this page. So there'll be more to come. But we have a one-month mentorship that's going to be starting in August with writer Chloe Caldwell. She is really big in the nonfiction world. She's written tons of essays. She's really great. So she's going to be taking on a few writers for that. And then we have another three-month one coming up, and I believe in another one month. And it's really just a small group. People will be accepted and work one-on-one with a published writer and um, really get feedback on pages, and you'll have be able to have phone calls and conversations. Also, in addition to that, we have a Write Together, which is a coaching program. Actually, I started it with my writing partner. Her name's Tamar. Hi, Tamar. We found each other through Write or Die, and we're both writing novels right now for the first time. And we text and talk every day because, as you know, Bianca, like you need constant, <laughs> constant reassurance, constant inspiration, or just someone to talk to about how hard it is to write a novel. And we started a coaching program based off of that whole accountability because we've gotten so much done with being able to talk to each other. So we have a few different programs where you'll be connected with one of us and, you know, you'll get resources, but you'll also be able to just text us, email us, talk to us about whatever you need, and we'll be able to have that like one-on-one mentorship and accountability coaching. Yeah, that sounds sounds amazing. And for our listeners, for those of you who are able to like afford mentorship or one-on-one time with writers, I used to teach at the University of Toronto School of Continuing Studies. And if you do the certificate program through them, there is a segment there as well that's called, it's like a mentorship module whereby you work with a writer, one of the writers that signed up with the university and you pay for that, but then they will work with you one-on-one critiquing a certain number of your pages, etc. So I doubt that uh, Toronto is the only creative writing program that does that. So certainly these are also opportunities you should look out for if those are things you're able to afford to pay for. Right. So then let's talk about you've got a list of like submissions, contest residencies as well. So that's an amazing resource because I think the problem is writers don't know where to find these opportunities. I feel like these opportunities are out there, but they're not quite sure how to find them. So can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So that's another list that we update monthly beginning of the month. And yeah, just like you said, we've got a list of writing contests for that month that have deadlines coming up, literary magazines that are looking for work. 
and yeah, residencies and retreats. And now I get emails from people who are wanting to promote them. So it's great. I'll, I just learn about all these new opportunities because like you said, there's so many. So we just update that monthly. And we also have a small press corner that if you want to get involved with small press or you're just looking for more of like a quirky, interesting organization, we have a whole page where you can read what they do when their submission period is, find them on socials. So we have those two pages to help you get your work out there. And, you know, these kinds of presses are hugely important for writers to build up resumes because when we look at the query letters, we like, there's that bio paragraph of yours. And it sounds more impressive if you're able to say, oh, I have published with so-and-so or my work has been included in this anthology, whatever the case may be is. So while you're busy working on your manuscript or a longer piece, don't give up the opportunity to look up these things, try and maybe submit a freestanding chapter from a piece you've done. I have a friend who wrote absolutely gorgeous novel and she submitted an excerpt from it to a huge writing contest and she was like in the finalists for that and that looks absolutely amazing on her resume and it's not something that took her away from novel writing. It was just a bit of the work that she had already done. So those are other opportunities there. Can you tell us a bit about the interviews and the articles you have that are resources for writers? Yeah, I just wanted to say real quick too is never underestimate small presses. They're doing really amazing things. They're really inclusive. They're really diverse. And I think there's so many out there that it can feel overwhelming, but you don't have to just stay with like the big five. There's really awesome presses doing really impressive work out there. Yes, as far as the interviews, I think that might be one of my favorite parts. It's just really fun to, as you know, Bianca, just pick a writer's brain about how they're doing this and how they make these amazing works. And we try to focus a lot of our questions on on craft and on writing one of my favorite questions to ask writers is what their writing routine is and how long it takes them to write a work. I'm just always so interested in that. And yeah, so we we probably publish an interview once a week, which is really, really great. And I'm really lucky that I have other writers who guest write and will guest interview and volunteer their time, which is really wonderful. And I feel fortunate about that. Amazing. So yeah, for writers, you need to keep learning read all these articles, listen to podcasts, just keep expanding your knowledge base. Okay, so you said then there's a weekly Monday resources letter that goes out with all of this. So where do people go to subscribe to this? Yeah, so you can find us at writerdietribe.com. There is a subscribe button. It's kind of all over the place. There's a number of them. There's one on the homepage. We're also uh, pretty active on Instagram. I like to go on there sometimes and talk about writing my novel and how uh, <laughs> how distressed I am about it or, or if I have any kind of successes, which is great because it provides that other sense of community of just being able to talk about your work. But you can find the link to subscribe on our Instagram as well. I think you mentioned remote job opportunities. Could you just tell us a bit more about that as well? Yep. That's something that we update weekly as well. Just content writing, freelance copywriting jobs. Again, that's that can be hard to find and we just really want to keep everything in one place. So you can just check that every Monday if you're looking for freelance work opportunities and or if you have any jobs that you want to look for other writers, we can post them there too. Amazing. And are you on socials, on Instagram, on Twitter? Where does everybody find you there? Yep, definitely Instagram. 
I'm on Twitter. I don't know if I'm very good at Twitter, but I'm on Twitter. <laughs> and we do have a Facebook too. All of it is just at Writer Diatribe. Amazing. Amazing. Thanks so much, Kaylee, for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time and providing all of these awesome resources for our listeners. Go to them on their socials, follow them, head to the website and start going through that and mining those resources. We wish you much success with your novel, Kaylee. Thank you. Thank you. We just registered my youngest kid for kindergarten. I cannot believe it. One of the tricky things about my kids being in French immersion school and not having French as a language myself is I'm honestly worried about how I'm going to assist with homework as they get bigger. They're young now, but I see it coming. We are honestly so lucky, though, to live in a city that's bilingual and we have bilingual friends and francophone friends. So I know it's going to be easy for our kids to pick it up. Me, on the other hand, I am worried about me. I grew up somewhere where French class was not taken seriously, and now I have to make up the difference. And that's where Rosetta Stone comes in. As the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app, it really immerses you in the language you want to learn. Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion, which is a proven way to learn a language. Instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals, reading stories, participating in dialogues, and other practical language skills to fast-track your ability to communicate fluently. There are no English translations in the product. You're honestly getting trained to listen, speak, read, write, and think in your new language, which is what everybody wants. Rosetta Stone users especially love the speech recognition feature. As you practice speaking, Rosetta Stone uses advanced voice recognition technology to match your audio, the audio from native speakers, and then give you feedback on how well you're pronunciating the words so you can really hone those pronunciations. It offers 25 languages from Spanish, French, Italian, German, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, even Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. This is the best language program because they have been an expert in the language learning field for 30 years and used by millions. Thousands of companies and government organizations use Rosetta Stone to support language training online. Of all the apps, Rosetta Stone uses the best speech recognition technology, so it compares your sound waves to those of a native speaker for better feedback to improve. They have a patented speech recognition engine called True Accent, which is built into the program. As you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronunciating words. The other language learning apps use speech recognition to detect what you said, but Rosetta Stone tells you how well you said it compared to native speakers. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Think about the cost of a one-month language course. Think about the cost of one-hour private tutoring sessions. With Rosetta Stone, you enjoy lifetime membership and accessibility on desktop or app. We have a special offer for you guys. It's 50% off. That's a lifetime access to 25 language courses on Rosetta Stone for 50% off. This is a steal. Do not put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the shit no one tells you about writing listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That We want you guys to go visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Hi, everyone. This is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is 
different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th, also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another comp session. We're really lucky to have Katie Stankovitz back again. She is our bookstagrammer who was doing our last comp session. Remember that her bookstagram account is Katie is reading. That's Katie with a Y. Give her a follow there. And also Katie is a writer. So she comes at the comps from from that angle as well, which is always incredibly useful. Katie, welcome back. Hi, Bianca. Thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, could you give us an indication of of how long you've taken this week and last week to put those comps together? It definitely took a couple hours to put them together. I spent a full Saturday afternoon looking at all of my friends' bookstagram accounts and kind of digging through my my past ratings on the story graph to see, you know, what books I've read in the past that might be relevant. Amazing. So just for our listeners, just know that, you know, a lot of thought goes into these comps and we, and we really appreciate the booksellers and the bookstagrammers who take the time to do this for us. Okay, Katie, will you kick us off with that first one? Hi there. I'm in search of comps and really appreciate any help. My book is about multiple generations of a family that has been torn apart by a murder. In the early 1990s, Tracy was murdered in a small southern town when she was in her early 20s. The dual timeline, dual point of view novel follows Tracy's mother in the immediate aftermath as she attempts to solve the crime and get revenge. The other timeline is told from Tracy's daughter's point of view 20 years after the crime when a podcast about cold cases invades the town and starts digging up evidence no one wants uncovered. It's not as violent as razor blade tears, but certainly not a cozy mystery either. Thank you very much for any thoughts and insight. So the first story is a dual POV, dual timeline novel about a murder in the 90s. And there's a true crime podcast element, which I personally love. So my first thought was Everything We Didn't Say by Nicole Bart. This book is dual timeline. It follows a woman who returns to her hometown to solve the murder of a family friend. And it also deals with a mother-daughter dynamic. And then there is a true crime podcast element. So I feel like this one is like the perfect comp for you. And then my second recommendation is The Night Swim, which came out in 2020. And it did really well commercially. It was a book of the month book, I believe. So I think that title would definitely catch an agent's attention. The Night Swim is about a podcast host who goes to a small town to report on a sexual assault case that's getting a lot of news coverage. But while she's there, she gets distracted by trying to solve a cold case. And then lastly, a comp that's a little more mystery than thriller, Margarita Montemore, who's the author of Una Out of Order, which did really well. Um, She has a new book coming out in July. It's called Acts of Violet. And it's about a woman whose sister is a magician and she disappeared mysteriously during one of her performances 10 years prior. And now there's a podcaster who's interested in the case and digging around. Ooh, that one sounds interesting. I'm definitely adding that to my to be read, my towering to be read pile. Okay, thanks, Katie. Next one. Hello. I'm looking for help with comps for my adult fantasy novel. It features a 68-year-old author grieving the recent death of her husband, who's transported into the world of her novels which she's had strange dreams about since childhood. There, she learns she can't write the final novel in her series. She has to live it. 
Though she's certain she's not the guide foretold in a prophecy, she's uncertain whether accepting the role and leading a small group on a dangerous quest to confront a crazed despot will save the kingdom or doom it. When a betrayal traps her and her companions, she must decide if she'll continue to let her self-doubt get in her way, or conquer her insecurities, and finally be able to move on with her life. I've comped this story to The Little Paris Bookshop by Nina George and The NeverEnding Story, but I'd appreciate any advice on other comps that will help agents know where this might sit on the shelf. Thank you. For the second story about the 68-year-old writer who's transported into her novels, I do really like The Little Paris Bookshop as a comp because if I remember correctly, it also has an older main character. I feel like we don't have enough adventure stories with characters who are in the second half of their lives, so I do think that that comp makes a ton of sense. I do have two ideas for books that this could be comp to for genre, like stories that your book could sit next to on a shelf. So first is The Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern, in which a man reads a book and sees parallels between his own life and the story, and then kind of travels into the story to discover how that happened. And then second is The Cartographers by Peng Shepard. So this book just came out a few months ago. It's gotten a ton of buzz. Again, it was a book of the month pick. The story is about a woman who finds a rare map in her dead father's office at the New York Public Library and has to go on a dangerous, magical journey to discover why the map is so important. Amazing. I'm wondering if the latest sort of Sandra Bullock movie, The Lost City, might also be a comp. I haven't watched it yet, but I know it's about, I think, a romance author who somehow gets sucked into her novels. I don't know. Look it up, see if it'll work. Okay, next one, Katie. Hi, I'm Sandra. I'm looking for comp titles, in particular recent comps, for a work of historical book club fiction in which the scandalous relationship between a married housekeeper and her employer determines the fate of one of the world's most beloved typefaces. The setting is 18th century Birmingham, England, and is based on real historical people. For comps, I've thought about books like The Girl with a Pearl Earring, The Crimson Petal in the White, Sarah Perry's The Essex Serpent, Jesse Burton's The Miniaturist, but I'm not sure these are quite right or recent enough. The novel features women's ambition and women's work, motherhood, letterpress printing and typography, and is told from a feminist perspective. I'd appreciate any suggestions you have for recent comps. My novel is more literary in style than something like The Apothecary's Daughter, but more plot-driven or commercial than, say, The Law of Dreams. Thanks so much. So the next one is historical fiction about a relationship that impacts a popular typeface. I love that premise. My comp recommendation for this is The Dictionary of Lost Words by Pip Williams. The main character in this novel is the daughter of the creator of the Oxford English Dictionary. She discovers that words related to women's experiences often don't get recorded into the dictionary, so she collects them for her own book, her own dictionary. This is a different time period than your book, but I think this will be a good comp for you because of like the word typography connection and because it has a feminist perspective on a historical period and a situation that was like very unfeminist. 
And then I would also say you should look into Fiona Davis's novels as potential comps. Her historical fiction has a focus on female ambition, women's work, and her most recent book, The Magnolia Palace, sounds like it might have some parallels with your story. Amazing, Katie. Thank you. And yes, we love Fiona on the podcast. We've had her on the show and any support of her work is wonderful as well. Okay, next one. I'm afraid we don't have the recording because I'm a complete dumbass who deleted it before I was able to upload it over here. But Katie did hear the request and hopefully the author can figure out that these are their comps based on what she's comping to. So for the next one, my first recommendation is Daughter of the Moon Goddess by Su Lin Tan. This book follows a daughter of a moon goddess in a quest to free her mother and really how she grows as a warrior during that process. The story weaves in Chinese mythology, which feels relevant to the historical aspect of your book. This was just released in January. It's already doing really, really well commercially, so I think this would be a nice, timely pick for you. And then my second recommendation is The Gilded Ones by Namina Forna. This was released last year. It was very popular among my fantasy-loving bookstagram friends. And this is another one that's kind of a coming-of-age through learning how to fight magical battles story. Amazing. It sounds good as well. Definitely adding a lot of these to my list. Okay, next one. Hi. I'm writing a novel about college friends who reunite for a wedding years after one of them had raped a classmate. The dual timeline spans their college years, where the women participated in the Vigilante Secret Society and The Wedding Weekend, where the women are looking to confront the rapist, but plans go awry. I'm looking for comps that have a dual timeline and deal with themes like sexual assault. Thank you. All right, so the next one is a book about the reunion of college friends. First of all, this sounds amazing. I would love to read this. I have a few different ideas for comps. So first is The Interestings by Meg Wolitzer. This was published in 2013, so it's not super recent, but I think it sounds really similar to your story. It's dual timeline, a friendship story, and one of the plot lines is about a sexual assault within the friend group and how the friends deal with that for years to come. So definitely consider that one. Second, I thought of The Paper Palace by Miranda Cowley-Heller. This is more recent. It sold really well, also dual timeline, and deals with a complicated friendship and the aftermath of sexual assault. So I will say The Paper Palace is pretty dark. I believe the author was on the podcast, so you could listen to that episode and just, you know, make sure that fits from a tone perspective. And then I'm not sure if your book has a thriller or mystery element to it, but if it does, I'd recommend looking into Greenwich Park by Catherine Faulkner. The Girls Are Also Nice Here by Laurie Elizabeth Flynn and The Divines by Ellie Eaton. So those all have dual timelines and they all have a plot that includes a group of college friends coming together again as adults and dealing with traumatic things that happened while they were in college. Amazing. Thank you. Okay, I think this is our second last one. Hello, Bianca, Carly, and Cece. I'm looking for help with comps. My upper middle grade story follows four 13-year-old girls that travel the world solving crimes and mysteries. Yesenia Ramos and her three friends have just finished two years of action-packed training. Now they're off to the Dominican Republic. The mission? Find the person responsible for blowing up a global pop star's relic. From a beachside mansion to the historic capital, the team must solve the case and prove themselves worthy of future missions. 
My current comps are Carmen Sandiego meets Nancy Drew, but I've struggled to find adventure stories set in the contemporary world, especially outside of Europe. And being that my characters are 13, I've also found it challenging to find books that straddle the line between the zany 12-year-olds of middle grade and the ultra-intense 16-year-olds of YA. Thank you for your help. So the next one is middle grade, and the author is specifically looking for adventure stories set in the contemporary world outside of Europe. That one is tough for me. I think your best bet is to take pieces of other books and call out like specifically what your book has in common. So for the adventure aspect, I was thinking Murder Most Unladylike. This is a historical middle grade series by Robin Stevens about middle grade students at a boarding school who solve murders. And then the Double Vision series by Floor T. Bradley is about a preteen boy who's recruited by the CIA to be a kid agent for them, and he travels the world solving crimes. And then I think one of my favorite things about middle grade is that very clear, like, moral or emotional lesson that you get that's, like, a little more obvious than in an adult novel. You didn't mention one of these in your recording, but I wonder if there's an opportunity for you to find a book that will strike a similar chord in the reader. So maybe it's The Power of Friendship or The Importance of Bravery for example, and then that could be your second comp versus trying to find a book that's similar in time and place. Excellent suggestion. Okay, last one. Hello, thank you so much for doing this. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I am currently looking for a little help uh, with comps for my debut novel. As I was writing and revising it, I've been describing it as the Poppy War meets Jurassic Park. But as I am getting ready to try to finalize a query letter, I think I need a little bit of help shoring up my comps. It is an adult fantasy novel uh, with a magic system based in surgery. It has a lot of science fiction elements, both in theme uh, and in plot, as the magic system involves a lot of experimentation, lab work, uh, and field work as well. It also has a lot of found family themes with a majority queer cast and centers around a sapphic friends-to-lovers relationship. The major driving force behind the plot is uncovering a conspiracy uh, that's pushing the boundaries of the magic system into horribly unethical territory. Again, thanks so much for doing this and looking forward to hearing what you come up with. All right. So our last one is a science-based fantasy novel I think The Poppy War Meets Jurassic Park is a really compelling combination of titles, but here are a few more ideas for you. So first, I think the show Stranger Things would be a great comp for this. The fantastical elements of that show are very science and like laboratory based, and there are there's a romance, lots of romance, lots of found family plot lines in that show as well. And then since it's entering its final season, I just think there's like a lot of buzz around it right now. So would be a great comp. For books, I would look at V.E. Schwab. Her book, A Darker Shade of Magic, focuses on the misuse of a magic system and the Vicious trilogy may also have some parallels with your book. And then lastly, I would recommend This Is How You Lose the Time War by Amal El Motar and Max Gladstone, which is sci-fi and fantasy, but also has a really beautiful romance element in it, which it sounds like your book does as well. Wonderful, Katie. Thank you so, so much. We really appreciate it. For our listeners, this is going to be our last comps session for a while. I am headed back to South Africa for the first time in four years. And so we're taking a bit of a break from the podcast over the summer. We'll be playing repeats of old popular episodes for those of you who have submitted questions for comps in the meantime don't panic we will get back to them in august once we back i'm sorry that it'll take a little bit longer for the rest of you phone in leave your questions and we'll get to them as soon as we can thanks again katie 
Thanks for having me, Bianca. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you'll join us for next week's show. In the meantime, keep at it. Remember, it just takes one yes. Calling all memoirists. I'm so excited to let you know that I've put together an incredible all about memoir lineup for Saturday the 11th of May from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time in which six amazing speakers guide you through everything you need to know to write a memoir that will sell. You'll get opportunities to ask questions of best-selling memoirists while also standing a chance to have your query letter live critiqued during the webinar. To see the awesome lineup and to register, go to biancamaray.com. There's an early bird promotion for the first 50 delegates who sign up. Come and join us and get your memoir groove on. Calling all memoirists. I'm so excited to let you know that I've put together an incredible all about memoir lineup for Saturday the 11th of May from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time in which six amazing speakers guide you through everything you need to know to write a memoir that will sell. You'll get opportunities to ask questions of best-selling memoirists while also standing a chance to have your query letter live critiqued during the webinar. To see the awesome lineup and to register, go to biancamaray.com. There's an early bird promotion for the first 50 delegates who sign up. Come and join us and get your memoir groove on.